Thank you for coming today and being a part of this together. Um, I realized right away today that uh, the pocket full of Kleenexes wasn't going to be enough, and so I went to the back and grabbed a, a box. And so I'm going to ask your indulgence as I will be uh, consciously throttling back my emotions as I am mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who rejoice because that's my family. You just saw my granddaughters there. And it's a, a tender time for all of us, and so um, this will be an unusual day for me as well as I try to present uh, to you a powerful message, and yet I'm going to uh, literally be putting on the governor on, on my emotions, and you may see me uh, literally uh, presenting in a way that's different for me. So today we begin a new series, it's called Truth Has an Edge. It's a powerful series. It's kind of a confrontive series in our culture. Um, and it's a hard series in that sense because of that. And today's title is Sharper Than a Sword. I want to begin with uh, questions right away to get us to be thinking. And I'll put these questions on the screen. What is your source of truth? How do you know something is true? For you, is truth objective or subjective? How valid is the statement, I'll live by my truth and you live by your truth? Does sincerely believing something make it true? In our culture, we live in a strange time where um, at the same time, we are comfortable with truth being black and white and clear if it's in the realm of mathematics. Uh, you know, you, you don't, fudge on that, you know, 200 plus 200 is 400, you, you don't say it's anywhere between this and that, it, it's just black and white and clear. And yet at the same time, truth in our culture is something that we want it to be foggy and we want it to be unclear when it relates to morality. We want it to be foggy and we want it to be unclear when it relates to God in our culture or judgment or heaven and hell or how to get to heaven. And so it's a strange time that we live in and a strange culture that we live in. Uh, add to that fact another problem. We live in the information age and now truth is buried in a massive haystack of contradictory information. This should not surprise us. Ever since the Garden of Eden, there has been an intentional strategy for spreading misinformation and misdirection. Now we live in a flood of contradictions and endless distractions to confuse truth and bury it. I don't know if you recognize that those are carefully crafted statements that talk about all of history, but particularly the time we live in now. And the temptation in an information age that is intentionally subversive of truth because there is an enemy behind that subversion, the temptation is to give up on truth. The temptation is to back away from the confusion, to stop looking for truth that has been buried by purposeful distraction, purposeful contradiction, and to give up on truth. We cannot do that. We are truth seekers. And Jesus told us 
Keep seeking and you will find. Truth, simply put, is reality. And we must pursue reality to know what is really real. And when we know what is really real, what I want us to learn today is that although truth has an edge and the topic today, and that edge is sharp as a sword, although that is true, and we're gonna look at scriptures to say that it is so, it is good news, not bad news. Our culture wants to claim that everything that I believe, everything this church stands for, and many of you as well, are in the dark. We're confused. We don't have the truth. I want to speak gently, but I want to speak truthfully that no, Jesus is the truth. He is the reality, and he will set us free. The topics that this series will include are three. It's a short series, so today, sharper than a sword. Next week, the truth will set you free. And then week three, truth versus the cancel culture. Those are the three topics. So I just want to jump right in. Point number one, truth is sharp. By definition, truth has an edge. It cuts out error. It slices away what is false. Truth is not relative, subjective, or soft. Truth is reality. And seeking truth is seeking out what is really real. We jump right into a very edgy, no excuses passage that Paul wrote when he wrote to the Romans in chapter one, verse 19 and 20, read this way. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. What he's speaking of here is what the theologians call general revelation. General revelation is available to every person who has the skills of observing. General revelation is what the creation itself reveals to us about the divine power and the divine attributes of God. General revelation teaches us as we look astutely at creation itself that Creation isn't as random as you'd expect accidents to be. Creation is filled with design. Doesn't matter if you look into the skies and beyond into space, or you look into the minuscule, microscopic. It's filled with design everywhere you look. And nowhere ever do we see something so intricately designed that came together with such magnificence coming out of accident. And so it's inexcusable that with general revelation alone, according to God from his perspective, that we deny that there is a intelligent, bigger than us, far bigger than our intelligence, and far bigger than we can even fathom, 
being behind all this design. That's what general revelation teaches us, that God is big and way beyond us. And to ignore God in the face of what we see, according to God, is inexcusable. There's a reason for that that I skipped over because it is stated clearly before the passage that I just read. So I want to back up to the verse that I skipped over to explain why this excuse-making to come up with strange explanations that don't make sense. Romans 1.18 says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. On the screen is a quote that says, why do people suppress the truth? Because they don't want to change their behavior. In spite of the evidence, people tend to believe what they want to believe. Now, what would be the motivation behind suppressing the truth that there is a big, powerful, smarter than us, God, behind it all. The motivation is, I want to do what I want to do, and if there is such a God who made us, and we're going to meet our maker, and to be held accountable by our maker, we can't do what we want to do, and be our own designer, and create our own designer life. And so there is a suppression of truth, It comes with strange conclusions, like nothing plus nobody. Let me make it different. Actually, I said it wrong. Nothing times nobody equals, now wait for it. I could shout it, but I'm throttling back. Bang. Everything. Are you kidding me? Nothing times nobody equals bang, which is where our current science explains our origin. That seems like an odd suppression of truth to me. Nothing. Bang. Everything. Well, how did it happen? Well, it's just this massive energy that exploded out of nothing to create everything. How is it so designed? It's just nothing times nobody equals bing, everything. And it seems absurd to me, but if you say a misdirected, misinformed truth frequently enough, it sounds like everybody believes it and I should believe it too. Those excuses get very personal when we suppress truth. You've heard people say things like, I'm not hurting anyone. Everyone is doing it. It's not bad. I like it. It makes me feel good. It makes me happy. It helps me cope. I've used a number of these internally. Excuses. And God says, there's no excuses for that. I met a drug addict one time And this was the epitome, the extreme example of self-excusing that I've ever met, where he literally had lost his family, lost his job, 
lost his wherewithal, lost his license, lost everything, was living under the bridge in Zaleski. And he was conversing with me, and admittedly on drugs, and he says to me, you know, drugs affects everybody else, but it really doesn't affect me the way everybody thinks drugs affect people. I'm thinking, really? He says, drugs is really good for me. Drugs is like medicine for me. It makes my life work. Work? Your life isn't working. He was living under the bridge, had no social life, had no life. He had been using excuses as he continued to travel down the road of destruction, self-destruction. Perhaps you know people who will self-excuse their self-destruction because they think that they're literally fooling others with their excuses, but God is not fooled. We humans are strange. We prefer to believe what we want to so we can do what we want. We don't want anyone telling us what we can or cannot do. I'm a preacher and I'm still that way and I have to confess it. Don't tell me what to do. I want to come up with it on my own. Pride. We do not want to be held accountable for our self-made redesigned flops. We do not want anyone to call these flops sin. Even though deep down we all know we ought to live a certain way and we can't seem to pull off what we ought to live. So what do we do? We human beings are strange. We try not to think about it too much. We fill our lives with temporary feel-good fixes and endless distractions. And that we should learn simply from creation. General revelation. The good news is we have far more than general revelation. We have what the theologians call special revelation. The special revelation came in actual events throughout history, the salvation of his, salvation, history of salvation. Um, and the actual events were interchanges with God and exchanges in miraculous and explanations of the miraculous and predictions of the future and prophecies that came true, etc., etc. Recorded because covenants were made and new covenants were predicted and a new covenant in Jesus was coming. Recorded in such a way that we have confidence in this God who is self-revealing. So it's a special revelation, but it's only available to those who are willing to look. It is now the proverbial needle in the information age, buried under the haystack of Eden's misdirection and distractions and deceptions. But to those who are seekers of truth, you dare not ignore this. You need to seek it out because it culminates in a historic reality that has quite a bit of evidence that the man, Jesus, was more than a man and he rose from the dead. And a movement exploded across the globe. And it's historically verifiable, exploded shortly after his crucifixion as a criminal. So you dare not ignore this. Special revelation teaches us some things that we need to consider as helpful. I want you to imagine seeing a movie of Jesus' life that was as vivid and as emotionally powerful as the reality that we read about, 
and you were there at the cross and you're watching it and you're feeling it and he is he's experiencing the devastation of that event and you come home from that movie just somber, wiped out emotionally because first of all, you believe it. And then you go to the mailbox and you get this mailer that's an invitation. I want you to just see this starkly. The contrast between the movie you've just watched and the mailer you just read. And here's the excerpts of a real mailer that I don't have time to give you much. Come to our special community. No religious dogma. We encourage the freedom of individual thought and belief, a humanist view of life, dot, dot, dot. Warm, accessible services, a mix of music, readings, and contemplation, a sermon, dot, dot, dot. It's not the form. It's the truth which the form carries that makes it work. Because we read, our children's religious education program, we teach our kids to be accepting of differing beliefs and the importance of each person seeking his or her own truth. They study the world's major religions and draw on the core values of each faith tradition, dot, dot, dot. It's mumbo jumbo for you pick and choose out of the misinformation that is available to us and create your own designer faith. And you have this reaction that's a guttural reaction because you just saw the movie. They both cannot be true. Jesus claimed he is the way, the truth, and the life. He died making a way for us to have access to God forever. And then we read his plight before, his agony before he goes to what he came to do he prays at Gethsemane in Matthew 26, 39. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it is possible, possible, let this cup, he's talking about the cup of suffering, what he knew was coming, what's been prophesied, what he signed up to do, let this cup of suffering, this cross, pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He literally prayed, if it's possible to save people any other way, Make it so that I don't have to do this. If God the Father could save the world any other way, he wouldn't have sent his son to die on a cross for us. They both can't be true. And we need to sort through and figure out what is the sharp truth. How? Does God save? Well, the amazing thing, first of all, is that God saves at all. The grace that we receive from God is still amazing, amazing grace. We should be shocked by it that anybody is saved in view of the raised fist of rebellion against our creator God to create our own designer lives that raises a fist further still in his face. But he loves us so much he sends Jesus. How is it that we're saved? Well, God provided a way that he could literally slice us away from our sin. And truth is sharp. And it took the cross to do it. Jesus' death, he himself, scripture says in Peter, he himself 
bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. God makes it possible for us to literally have our sins be absorbed into Jesus' body on the cross so that he would pay the penalty for it and we won't have to. So that we, in our faith identifying with Jesus and uniting with Jesus, we, in a sense, are crucified with him on the cross so that our old lives could die with him, so that just as he is raised by the power of the Spirit of God, we can be raised to new life with Jesus by the same resurrection power. This is amazing grace, and it is a miraculous grace. It is God's plan through the ages that built up, up, up for thousands of years, preparing for it, and it makes sense only after you see the preparation for it, and then it makes perfect sense, and if you enter into it, it not only makes sense, it works. And the resurrection power, which is the Spirit himself, enters into the atoned for body and literally gives you power to live a new life. That's how it works. The New Testament makes these very sharp truth claims. Rejection of Jesus, his son, is a rejection of God's offer and a rejection of God himself. There is no Jesus-less salvation. There is no Jesus-less God. There is no Jesus-less heaven. Jesus is the king of heaven and earth. All authority on heaven and on earth and beneath the earth has been given to him. Jesus says so because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and he accomplished this and steals the authority of the dark ruler out from him and he's overtaking the world, but he doesn't force anybody to be a part of his kingdom. Such a gentleman he is. And when we take a look at the whole argument out of Romans 1, when it talks about the wrath of God, you know what that looks like? Not uncontrolled rage. It looks like, okay, okay, I'll let you have what you choose away from me. I won't make you. I'll give you over to it. That, my friends, is the wrath of God. Truth is sharp. Hebrews 4.12 reads, oh, let me finish some of these New Testament sharp truths. Although the cross unites believers with God and each other, it divides the world in two. Either you will try to save yourself by creating your own coping version of a suppressed truth, or you will accept Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said only a few will find this way. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God isn't merely a book we interpret. The word of God interprets us. It's a diagnostic, truth-telling mirror. The word of God is living and effective, sharp and penetrating, cutting away our excuses and defenses, exposing our hidden thoughts and intentions. Look into it. It's good news. God knows us better than we know ourselves. 
Are you surprised by this? Sharp truth points us to our need for a savior. We need him now. Those of us who have been saved, we still think of him as he saved me back then and he's gonna save me in the future. We need a savior today. We need a savior today. Only after we've allowed Jesus' gospel, the truth to penetrate deeply into our thoughts and intentions of our heart, can we then proceed to point two? Point two is premature if you've never allowed him to save you. Premature if you don't even know what that means. But once you are saved, point number two, handle truth with kindness. Because it is sharp. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth is an important couple of concepts. We tend to be either full of one or full of the other. We're not generally full of both. And only Jesus was 100% full of grace and 100% full of truth and was able to pull that off. And the disciples saw it and they called it glory. This is the glory of God the Son. I need to wrap this up, so let me put it this way. Truth is a scalpel. It's designed to heal. Grace is the anesthetic. It makes us want the truth. As followers of Jesus, we must likewise apply the anesthetic when we apply the scalpel. Graceless truth is not glory but gory. Excuse my wordplay, I can't help it. The L is missing in gory. The L is the Lord, and when the Lord is missing in your truth-telling, glory shifts quickly to gory as you're wielding the truth like a scalpel without any kindness, without any grace. Nothing like Jesus, shame on us. Today we have seen God's word as a mirror to interpret us and a scalpel to heal us. Next week, we'll look at truth as a key to set us free. Father God, we thank you for giving us such powerful truth and sending us truth embodied in Jesus. And help us, Lord, to consider some of these words and thoughts to once again return to seeking you instead of ignoring you. Turn away from our distractions and turn away from the misinformation and seek truth, even if it hurts, because it is good, saving, healthy, making us whole kind of truth with no regrets even though we don't want to lay these other things aside and allow you to strip them away. We need to come to you to get to the place where we trust you to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Whatever your reaction might be, whatever you might need, whether it's about this message or not, the prayer team is to the left of the stage. I'd love to have you pray. God bless you. See you next week for The Truth Will Set You Free.